Hey now, it's Curious City's Jason Mark. Well, the sun is out, or at least it appears we've moved past what many of us call third winter here in Chicago, and the end of the school year is coming up fast. That means students are blowing and bowing, strumming and thrumming their way through year-end band concerts. And green things are sprouting from the trees and, yes, even the sidewalks. So this week, we're revisiting two stories from the archives with those themes in mind. In a few minutes, does this sound familiar? Oof. Reporter Monica Ang shows us how a breakthrough in mid-century manufacturing affected the way many school kids learned to play their first musical instrument, the recorder. The recorder was a very serious instrument in the Renaissance and in the Baroque, but it fell out of favor. It was silent for many, many, many years, and people haven't really taken it seriously as an instrument since then. But first, Chicago's official motto is herbs in horto, which means city in a garden. Well, how about horto in herbs, garden in a city? You always see those little plants and weeds springing up everywhere from construction sites to sidewalk cracks in the middle of the loop. Uh, How did they get there? And how did they survive? We'll answer both those questions next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell in the 400 unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark. Learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. They're everywhere. They can push themselves through brick, cracks in the sidewalk, asphalt, and piles of rock. And no matter what you do, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. I'm talking about urban weeds. You know, those things like dandelions and crabgrass. Well, we got a question about these weeds from listener Russell Tarvid. You just notice plants growing in the strangest places. It actually made me kind of have a lot of admiration for these plants. Like, how do you survive in these conditions? That's a good question. How do they survive in cities like Chicago? I mean... They get trampled, they get mowed, and they get, you know, air pollution in urban areas, and on and on and on and on. That's Greg Spires, a botanist with the Illinois Natural History Survey. He's a big fan of urban weeds. I don't like to use the word weed, but we don't have really a better word. So, weeds it is. Spirey says one of the biggest struggles weeds face here is 
the soil. The soil is of really poor quality, meaning that it often is high in salt that we put down. It's high in all kinds of calcium from the rock and concrete. It's got very poor soil biota like fungi. It's often polluted with heavy metals. Because they're dealing with this tough soil, many of the weeds in Chicago have what's called a taproot, which is a key to how they grow and survive. These taproots pierce the ground really well. It's just like is this giant drill that digs way down into those cracks and it sort of penetrates this highly sort of compacted soil. Andy says these taproots work particularly well when there's a drought. It stores nutrients and water really well, so that's a really common thing. And another thing, you step on the flowers in your garden, they're going to die. But you step on a weed in a sidewalk crack, that thing is going to bounce right back. A lot of them are really tough and rubbery, and they can really handle being mowed and stepped on all the time. Oh, and there's one more thing that helps weeds survive. They can also tolerate a lot of chemicals dumped into the soil. They have these strong built-in metabolisms to deal with that kind of thing. A lot of that probably stems from their original origin in some of these like really, really rocky habitats in nature where they're just exposed to a lot of the stuff that comes out of the rock in their natural habitat. Turns out rocky habitats like cliff sides or riverbanks are pretty similar to city living. They're both high-stress environments with hot and cold temperature extremes, bad soil, and rocks that let out weird metals and salts. You can actually go right back to the area where they would grow in a totally sort of natural area, and it looks so much like <laughs> the exact same weird habitat in an urban area that we've created. And while we might not want these weeds taking over our lawn, Many are native to the area, and keeping native plants around is really important for the environment. There's a whole suite of insects and animals that have co-evolved with me for millions of millions of years, so that probably depend on me. If you're preserving the native plants, you're preserving the native animals at the same time. So, I've got this new way of looking at Chicago weeds now. Next time you take a walk in your neighborhood park or even throw out your garbage in the alley, I hope you'll find you do too. Coming up, reporter Monica Eng tells us why an instrument associated with shepherds is played by thousands of Illinois school kids every year. We'll find out next. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. One, two, start on D, ready, go. You're listening to fifth graders at By Elementary School in Oak Park, Illinois. They're diving into what's become an American educational rite of passage. Yep, they're learning how to play their recorder. In case you didn't know, that's a little flute with roots in European Baroque music. Maybe you remember it from your school. Question asker George Simon sure does. See, he was raised in the Middle East and came to the U.S. via Canada as a fifth grader. So when he arrived and his whole class had to learn this thing called the recorder... 
He thought it was some big American tradition, like baseball and eating hot dogs. And nobody had explained to me, right, that this is not something that all kids just automatically know, but some form of entry into the music world. Which he eventually figured out this was just a way to teach kids music. But he still couldn't understand why so many schools chose this high-pitched flute to do it. So he wrote into Curious City and asked, Why do we have to do that? Like, what is the purpose of the recorder? And why do we all have to learn the recorder? These are fair questions. I mean, why send this squeaky flute that no one really seems to play in an orchestra home with hundreds of thousands of kids where they can inflict untold torture on entire families? To answer George's question, I turned to Valerie DePriest. She's a lady who knows her recorders. She plays in a recorder band, technically called a consort. And for 17 years, she taught music in Oak Park Public Schools. Using, yep, the recorder. And to Valerie, the recorder's not just an awesome tool for teaching music, but one that frankly deserves a lot more respect. So how did it go from an instrument that peaked in Europe more than 200 years ago to an American classroom staple today? Valerie credits a bunch of things that all converged at once starting in the 1950s. One was a revival of interest in early music and a sort of rediscovery of the recorder as an instrument that adults were interested in playing. Another was the spread of something called the Orff Schulwerk approach. It's a German style of teaching music that stresses rhythm, melody, instruments like the recorder, and the kind of participatory playing you're hearing here. Instead of having kids just sing along to the teacher on piano, they got to play their own instrument. But the biggest thing was a certain industrial breakthrough that you might remember from the 1967 movie, The Graduate. Are you listening? Just so you know. Plastics. So what does the rise of cheap industrial plastic have to do with music? In the 1960s, recorders started to be manufactured in mass quantities using plastic. And they were well-tuned instruments and able to be sold cheaply. But cheap doesn't mean crummy sound. Check this out. It's Valerie playing a pricey wood recorder. And here's the plastic recorder. Not bad, right? So this explains a lot, but it's not all. Valerie reels off even more reasons the recorder's so great for teaching young kids. The recorder is a wonderful way to teach melody to children. It's a very portable instrument. The kids can carry it from home to school easily. The soprano recorder is also just the right size for young children. And it's possible with good teaching to get a good sound out of the recorder quite quickly. Add to that longtime state requirements for grade school music classes, and you've got a recipe for an instrument that more than 100,000 students buy each year all around the country. But not everyone's convinced. And by that, I mean people in Canada. That's where our questioner once lived. And there, a lot of schools go with the ukulele to teach young kids music. Valerie thinks this is a mistake. I mean, she likes the ukulele. But the ukulele is designed to play chords on, and it's a pretty advanced concept for the youngest of children. And I think that younger children need to experiment a lot with melody and rhythm before they start bringing in the concept of harmony. So the recorder's not likely to lose ground to the ukulele here in the U.S. 
And this has a lot of benefits, but also one big drawback for Valerie. Because it's so popular as a kid's instrument, folks just don't take it seriously. And Valerie says... The recorder was a very serious instrument in the Renaissance and in the Baroque, but it fell out of favor. It was silent for many, many, many years, and people haven't really taken it seriously as an instrument since then. But it's a wonderful, lifelong instrument for adults to play. Adults just like Valerie, who get together in consorts with folks who play recorders of all sizes. Soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. And lots of smaller and bigger ones, like the eight-foot-tall contrabass recorder that looks like a giant wooden beaker. And often they'll be joined by players of other early music instruments like crumhorn or sackbutt. What? (laughs) What's a sackbutt? A sackbutt is a sort of an early trombone. And the crumb horn, it's a double reed instrument with a hook on the end. And how would you characterize these people who hold on to these Baroque instruments and play them? What, what kind of groups of people are these? Um, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> when I take all this information about the sackbutt and the more practical stuff to George, he admits that it all makes a lot of sense. But he still doesn't like the recorder. Maybe because... I wasn't particularly good at the recorder. Still, his ears do perk up when I tell him the thing about the ukulele, and that if his family had stayed in Canada, he might have played that at school instead. How would you have liked that? Oh, I play guitar, so like that would have been just fine. Well, despite George's preference for the soothing ukulele, it's not likely to overtake the recorder in the U.S. anytime soon. Valerie says it's just got too much going for it. And to all those parents who just hear screeching, Valerie says she hears a future virtuoso. Just kidding. I hear screeching. (laughs) But let's face it, recorder's a lot easier to listen to than beginning violin. And it comes into tune much more quickly. So, you know, we all have to pay our dues. And if we do, one day all that screeching could end up sounding like this. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation and is produced by me, Jason Mark. Adriana Cardona-Magigat is our reporter. Maggie Civet is our digital and engagement producer. Asia Singleton is our intern, and our editor is Alexandra Solomon. Special thanks this week to former intern Natalie Dahlia. Have a question about Chicago and the region that you'd like us to investigate? Drop us a line at wbez.org slash curiouscity. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you back here next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.